0: of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be ever pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Good morning, and thank you all for being here on this moist, rainy Carolina morning. Uh, Really a blessing from God, given how dry and thirsting the land is for, for water this day. Thank you. Today, we hear a very familiar parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Many great preachers have preached about this story. One of these was the late Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. In fact, the day before Dr. King was assassinated, he gave his last speech in Memphis, Tennessee. In it, he talked about this parable. Towards the end, he reflected on why the priest and the Levite did not stop for the traveler, He imagined that those men were simply afraid. After all, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was indeed a very dangerous place. Dr. King reflected, and so the first question that the priest asked and the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by, and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man... What will happen to him? Dr. King asks us to consider our Christian discipleship with these good questions. The latter one should be the guiding principle of our approach towards those who are in need. What would happen to others if we did not simply stop and offer help? And what of context? Again, the road to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho, was a dangerous place. And in our present-day society, it would seem that danger lurks everywhere. We hear about stories, usually from some type of news source or news feed, where the lead often has nothing to do with kindness or mercy. Rather, it's violence that's highlighted. And mercy and generosity are ignored because, after all, mercy and generosity make for low interest and low ratings. But but for every one person who commits some senseless atrocity or horrific act of violence, there are millions of God-given moments of grace. Stephen J. Gould beautifully captured this image in a New York Times op-ed piece shortly after the 9-11 attacks. Good and kind people outnumber all others by thousands to one. The tragedy of human history lies in the enormous potential for destruction in rare acts of evil, not in the high frequency of evil people. Complex systems and laws can only be built step by step, whereas destruction requires but an instant. Thus, in what I like to call the the great asymmetry, every spectacular incident of evil will be balanced by tens of thousands of acts of kindness, too often that go unnoted or invisible and referred to as the ordinary efforts of the vast majority. We have a duty, almost a holy responsibility, to record and honor the victorious weight of these innumerable little kindnesses when an unprecedented act of evil so threatens to distort our perception of ordinary human behavior. And my friends, it is from this perspective that Jesus is trying to teach us this morning. Let's look again at the story. The entire focus of the story is the Good Samaritan. The focus was not on the violence. The focus of the story was on mercy and loving kindness. The robbers, they get about a dozen words, but the Samaritan gets the rest of the story because, after all, It's not the parable of the robbers, right? It's the parable of the merciful Samaritan. And yet, in our present day, it's so hard to look away to see any good because maybe in our minds, to do so tempts us into pretending that the violence isn't actually heart-wrenchingly awful, which can predispose us to become numb to such acts. And in the story of the merciful Samaritan, Jesus told the truth about the seriousness of the attack. To be sure, he told the truth about the inadequacy of how the priest and the Levite responded. But on none of these things did he dwell. He used most of his canvas for the story, painting a picture, not of assault, but of generosity. Evil might have the news cycle, but it does not have the victory. The darkness does not have to get into our hearts. It does not have to fill our minds or rob us from our joy. Looking for the love, the light, and kindness in this crazy broken world around us is not the same as pretending that evil isn't evil. As Christians, we can sit in the suffering, and we often do. We can name the forces, the evil forces of racism and gun violence. We can confess our own complicity and we can lament and protest, but what we can never, what we can never ever do is to concede more ground to Satan than he himself has tried to claim. We will not be deceived into reversing the math and believing that evil has the numbers because it does not. For example, the Marjory Stoneman Douglas High School shooter was one man. His act of terrorism and murder and hate had a devastating effect on so many lives of children and people in the town of parkland florida and indeed across the world but the evil of one man did not win when in response millions of people all over the world marched and demonstrated in support and love for those affected this is not evil optimism it's just math what one person intended for evil God used for good. By all means, we must name evil for what it is. We must root out the sin and racism within us. We must fight for justice. But then let us turn our sight towards the light. Let us turn our sight towards God, lest we become so consumed by the effects of evil that we miss the chance to be kind to a stranger. We miss the chance to notice how acts of beauty and kindness vastly outnumber the acts of evil by the thousands, the tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands, and the millions. Because if we don't, we hand evil even a bigger victory than it earned when in fact it had already lost. You see, in the same 24-hour news cycle that can only speak of the badness in the world, babies were born, people fell in love, couples were married, casseroles were brought to the homebound. Prayers were said. Little kids in school for the first time were making new friends. Someone paid for the coffee for the person behind them in line. And relationships were reconciled. As every second of every day, God arrives unannounced in the merciful and loving kindness of other people. I can remember an experience not so long ago that I hold in my heart. Very closely. It was an uncharacteristically frigid late winter night, and we were in the throes of a terrible surge of critically ill COVID patients. Our ICU was a dangerous and frightening place. We were in moments of maximal restriction and isolation. In fact, my team had been divided into pods such that when one pod was on, the other was off and safely out of the hospital. And this night was at a time when I was not allowed to enter into the hospital. Full disclosure, in my world as a PA and in clergy, there's not a door that my ID doesn't enter. Except that night, it didn't. And I was incapacitated because I had a critically ill patient, yes, that was being well cared for medically, but was in desperate need of a pastoral visit. I was not allowed to enter the hospital in my secular role, nor was I allowed to step through the threshold of the hospital in my sacred one. I was trying to come up with a solution of how to connect with this patient, phone, tablet, anything, because this was a patient that was unable to speak. So I reached out to the director of chaplain services to brainstorm how we might be able to affect some type of contact as the patient was in isolation and the protocol in this moment was one provider in the room at a time and that couldn't vary. And he told me that despite current protocols, there actually was a resident chaplain in the house that night and maybe I could call them and work out something directly. It would be moments later that I found myself on the phone pleading with this kind soul on the other end of the phone for assistance. His calm response was simply, I will go there now. No further discussion, no deliberation, no qualification of what he could or could not do, no cognizance of the inherent danger involved, only an incredibly brave declaration of fact. And he went. And he was the loving, spiritual presence of God. He was the light that scattered the darkness from the path before this patient. He sat with this beloved child of God in their greatest moment of fear and insecurity. A single example among the innumerable acts that occur every minute of every day. Remember our baptismal covenant. Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God and Christ? Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons? Will you love your neighbor as yourself? Will you strive for justice and peace among all people? Will you respect the dignity of every human being? The answer is always, I will, with God's help. You see, we cannot do this alone. And it's clear that our work is never done. We're broken humans, just like the lawyer in our parable today. today. We continue to ask Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus continues to answer in a way that should not surprise us, knowing how Jesus works. But it always does. The marginalized one, the different colored one, the one with a different culture, the old one, the young one, the sick one, the wealthy one, the poverty-stricken one, the one who is in us. What is surprising is how difficult it is for us to show mercy to those who don't fit in with our boundaries or our comfort zones, despite we know what Jesus is asking of us. Please, and I ask please for us to consider that living a merciful life is defined not as helping someone once. Instead, it's a life in which a person's character is formed by the basic premise that they love God love their neighbor, and they love themselves. To put it another way, Mahatma Gandhi once was quoted as saying, your beliefs become your thoughts, your thoughts become your words, your words become your actions, and your actions become your habits, your habits become your values, your values become your destiny. The call from Jesus to go and do likewise is as challenging as it is the opportunity to become transformed. Living out mercy changes us as a people. And what of that chaplain resident, so brave and faithful on that cold and dangerous night? Some weeks later, after the surge subsided, I would have the opportunity to share with the director of chaplain services just how powerful that visit was for the isolated patient, their family, and their recovery when all was so remote and removed. His response to me was that he wasn't surprised at all. And he went on to say, you know, Scott, he's one of your people, you know that, right? And I was stunned. He told me that that brave spiritual warrior of God was to be ordained. He was to join the Episcopal Diocese of North Carolina upon completing his residency in the reimagining the curacy program after his residency. He's Mweta Naka, sitting right there. I share the story, God bless you, Mweta. I share the story as an example close to home, where we are the hands and feet of God. In a world wounded by evil and darkness, where we have the gift of our hearts filled to overflowing with God's great love for us to penetrate the darkness as Mueto so powerfully demonstrated for us to be a light to blanket those in need with love and peace. And so my fellow spiritual companions, I close with this invitation. When you come upon a situation in the next hour, the next day, the next week, month, or year, I invite you to ask yourself not what's going to happen to me if I get involved here, but what if I don't? Amen. The Chapel of the Cross is an Episcopal church in the heart of Chapel Hill and the university community. Find out more at thechapelofthecross.org. There you can find our latest news and events, connect with our pastoral care team, Faith in Action Ministries, and offer a prayer request. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram at thechapelofthecross, and on Facebook and Twitter at C-O-T-C, Chapel Hill. May you be nourished by the Word to serve in the world.